Now, I am willing to make a bet with everybody in this room right now. There's a bet I'd like to make. I am willing to bet that there are some things in your life that you are willing to pay a much higher price for than other people. It's just stuff that you're willing to pay the cost for. So maybe, maybe some of us in, the room, in this room, you're a gadget person. You, you get the latest phone, you like the nicest TVs, you're willing to pay just a little bit more for that. I know it's not just the ladies, but ladies, we just gotta pick on you. Come on, where are my clothes ladies at? Shoes, come on, nice things, purses. You got 27 handbags, you just do. You like nice things, you're willing to pay the money for it. It doesn't even matter what it is, vacations and trips. Some of us, you're an experienced person, you will break the bank to go overseas or do something. Some of us in here, it's your grandkids. You will just throw money at your grandkids if they ask for it. You will pay any price. You know what my weird thing is that I'm willing to pay much more for? Girl Scout cookies. I am normally very cheap. I'm not buying eggs right now. I will wait for those to get cheaper. But when it comes to Girl Scout cookies, I tell those girls, I said, name your price. I will pay anything for that box of heaven right there. It's just what it is. You're willing to pay more for certain things. And yet, here's what is so interesting to me about this. While that's true, there are also a lot of things in your life that you would say are very important, that you would be willing to pay a high price for, but the way you live your life reveals something a lot different, that you actually don't want to. Now let's use an obvious example, physical health. Every person in here, we'd say, yes, I want to be healthy, I want to live as long as I can, and yet when it comes down to getting to the gym or eating broccoli, it just ain't worth it, right? We just don't want to do it. I'm, I'm gonna make a confession right now. If I'm in a doctor's office and he tells me, Brian, you gotta stop eating cake. Like, this will add years to your life. I am going to heaven sooner full of cake. I don't care. Like, I am willing to do that. I don't wanna pay that price. I'm just a cake guy. Some of you guys, you're in school right now. You know the good grades are important. They matter, they're important to you. And yet, your habits show that you're just not willing to spend the time studying and preparing because you know deep down, C's get degrees, all right? Parents, I'm sorry to tell your kids that, but kids, C's do get degrees, okay? I'm sorry. Just telling you the truth. So it's funny. I don't know what your thing is. You say you want it, but at the end of the day, we're not always willing to pay the price. Now, last week, if you're just joining us, we started this little series we're calling Three Short Years. And we are two weeks away from Easter, everybody. Two weeks. This is really exciting. And if you're in town, we would love to have you here. We have an incredible experience planned. We're hoping to pack this place out with so many new people and guests. But my hope for these coming weeks is that we can say, take some time to prepare our hearts. And my hope is that our church can have a much more profound experience of Easter and everything that Jesus accomplished for us 2,000 years ago. And what we're really talking about with this idea of three short years is we're asking the question, first off, that Jesus spent the first 30 years living essentially anonymous, but then he just bursts on the scene. And in three short years, completely changes the trajectory of human history. And you have to ask the question, how did he do that? How did he completely change the world in such a short amount of time? And I know the easy Christian cop-out answer is, well, he's God, Brian. It's that simple. And I get that answer, but I think there's more to it than that. And that there are things that Jesus actually did in his life that allowed him to have such an incredible impact. And why this is so important for us today is if you're anything like me, you've had these moments in your life where you've wondered, am I actually living the life I was supposed to live? Am I actually fulfilling my purpose? Am I doing what God put me here to do? Or am I just wasting years? 
am I missing something that God has for me? And where we often focus so much on longevity and the length of our lives, Jesus shows that, that it's not ultimately the length of your life that matters. It's whether you truly fulfill the purposes that God has placed in your life. And so we're asking the question, what did Jesus do to fulfill the purpose in his life? What are some of those practices and principles that we can even learn from and imply in our own lives? And today, Jesus is going to talk about price. He's going to talk about the cost of your purpose. What is really going to be required if you want to get to the end of your life and say with confidence, I did everything that God wanted me to do. And so we're going to look at a passage today. Matthew 16, we're going to hang out here the whole time if you want to follow along. I'm going to be in verse 21, and this is what it says. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. Now, pause here. Can we just appreciate this for a moment? Look at how much clarity Jesus had with the purpose of his life. I know this is unique. He knows it down to the detail. We don't always get that benefit. But Jesus had such a strong level of conviction that he's like, it has to happen this way. There's no detours. There's no alternative groups. This is the destiny for my life. Jesus is confident about it, even when it's not pleasant. Now, this is where things take a turn and they get kind of interesting. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Can we appreciate something right now? Rebuking Jesus. Could you imagine just pulling God aside and be like, excuse me, God, we have something to talk about over here. Um, I have some other ideas for how you should run the universe. I, I have some fresh <laughs> ideas for how you should do your thing. Peter's just, he's just dumb sometimes, everybody. We love to pick on him, though. He's always sho shoving his foot in his mouth. But can we just understand where he's coming from for a moment? It's easy to pick on him. At this point in time, the understanding was that whoever the Messiah was, whoever the Savior was, he wasn't going to die. He was going to come in and bring victory. He was going to overthrow Rome. He's going to bring in a new political regime. He's not going to suffer. He's not going to die. And so Peter's like, okay, if you're really the Messiah, that can't happen. And so he's just trying to be a good soldier right now. He's like, Jesus, we got your back, man. We're your boys. We're not going to let this happen to you. Nothing's going to hurt you. So I'll cover your six. You look forwards, and we're going to be good. It's all going to work out fine. And how interesting, though, that Peter's thinking is exactly how we think often. Here's where our brains usually go. Um, if it hurts, if it's going to be hard if it requires any sacrifice on my part, there's no way it can be God. Don't we do that so often? We think God would never ask me to do something that would make my life harder. His job is to make things easier. God is my easy button. He fixes stuff. He doesn't create problems in my life. And this is exactly what Peter's thinking. He's like, there's no way God would want you to suffer and die, Jesus. There's no way that's in the plan for you. God loves you too much to allow that to happen to you. We're way more like Peter than we'd want to admit. And if that line of thinking was accurate, Jesus' response would have looked a lot different. He would have been like, thank you so much, Peter. I'm glad you got my back. None of these other guys care about me. You care, though. Let's make sure we get through this. But um, Jesus has other words right now. Verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
By the way, if you would love to make your dinner conversation really awkward with the people you're with, go ahead and say that to them while you're eating. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I struggle reading the Bible sometimes. I look at some of the stuff Jesus says, I'm like, man, ratchet it down three notches, Jesus. Like, let's calm it down just a little bit. Get behind me, Satan. But I know that my filter for what's appropriate is not really the accurate one. And Jesus never wastes a word. And so he's meaning what he says. And there's something interesting about this. Jesus is having a moment. He's like, wait, hold on. I know that voice. I know this agenda. And if you don't know some of the details of Jesus' life, there's one moment where he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And he was isolated, he was alone, and he was experiencing direct temptations and attacks from Satan himself. And in this season, Satan's saying things like, well, hold on. You can be king without a cross, Jesus. You can still save without having to suffer. There's another way you can go about this that will make your life a lot easier. Because even Satan knew no cross, no Christianity. We got to try and thwart this thing. And Peter, out of his best interests, out of trying to be a loyal friend, is unknowingly pushing an agenda that aligns with Satan himself. And Jesus says, that is a stumbling block. That is trying to get in the way of the very purpose for which I came for. These are only human concerns. Now, a couple years ago, Nicole and I uh, were in the process of moving here to Colorado. It was an absolute mess. I'm just going to tell you guys right now. It was a disaster. And one of the reasons it was so complicated was the housing prices. Have you noticed the housing prices at all in Colorado? Has anybody noticed these things? Well, even a couple of years ago, it was already insane. And you got to have some context. Nicole and I were moving here from Indiana, Middle Earth. And we paid just over $100,000 for a decent house in Indiana. You know what you get for $100,000 in Colorado? A cardboard box. Not even a nice one. That's what you get in Colorado. So we are trying to stomach just this massive financial leap that we feel like we're going to have to make here. And what was interesting about this process, though, was a lot of our family members had opinions about this. And a lot of the commentary from our family members were like, well, hold on, guys. How much are you going to have to spend on a house? How are you going to be able to afford that? How are you going to be able to, like, raise a family with that cost of living? And these were all really valid questions. Here's the interesting thing about human concerns that Jesus is talking about. He's speaking to the fact that every single one of us, we have a proclivity towards prioritizing and being concerned about our own security, our own safety, our own comfort and control and trying to live out what we think our lives should look like. And what's interesting about that dynamic is sometimes the people who love you the most are unknowingly, out of the best of intentions, trying to protect you and help you and keep you safe. And yet, they are also unknowingly pushing you away from God's purposes in your life. They're like, any parents in here, you know, you don't want your kids to suffer. You got a friend you care about, you don't want them to be in a situation that's going to be difficult and hard and painful. And yet, at the same time, you can be unknowingly working against God's purposes in your life. And Nicole and I had this massive decision moment come to Colorado. Because everybody was saying, well, hold up. Isn't the cost of living enough of a sign that maybe God's not in this? 
Because surely he wouldn't want you to break the bank to come out here. Surely he wouldn't want you to have a more expensive life. And Nicole and I had this moment where we're like, well, hold on. We feel like there are concerns that God has about this situation that supersede any concerns we have. And that he is more concerned about us getting here to Colorado to help serve his kingdom and his purposes, even more than us being able to get all the square footage and all of the nice amenities and the shiplap that we're hoping for. God's concerns. Your human concerns in your life can become a stumbling block. They can actually work against what God is trying to accomplish in your life. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying you don't get wise counsel. I'm not saying you don't consider all the variables in your decisions. But what Jesus is saying is you have to make sure that your own concern for your safety, your control, your success, your advancement in life does not cause you to miss out on what God actually wants for your life. What are you concerned about right now? What's occupying your mind? What are some of those things that you're just worrying about? What, what are you losing sleep over in this season of your life? Every single one of us, you have some very real concerns. I, I, they're perfectly legitimate. And yet here's the tension. When our human concerns conflict with God's concerns, he must take priority. He must. That's the tension right here. Now, Jesus has this moment. He's realizing, oh, okay, my guys don't understand how this really works. We need to reset expectations because they think this is going to look a certain way, and I need to make sure we are all on the same page. So Jesus now is going to say, you guys got to understand, we got to talk cost now. We got to talk price tag. And what Jesus is about to say is, there is a price for your purpose. This is not free. This is actually going to come at a high cost. Look what he says in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. <laughs> I got a woo for that. Amen. I promise you it will get a lot quieter in just a minute. So, no. Um, appreciate that. A, a little while ago, I was at a birthday party for somebody in our church. It was a little one-year-old boy. And, you know, super little cute party. At one point in time, he's sitting in the high chair, and they handed him his own personalized cake, his first cake experience as a young kid. This magical moment. But he didn't know what it was. He just stared at it all confused, like, what am I supposed to do with that thing? And so his mom takes this little moment, and she just gently pushes his face into the cake so he get a little taste. His eyes got as big as his head. It was like he had seen God face to face in that moment. And he proceeded to just shove his face into the entire cake. He didn't even use hands. He just inhaled the thing. Like totally just getting the whole experience. And I just love that moment because I'm like, that is a perfect picture for how we want to live our lives, right? We don't want to deny ourselves anything. I mean, I want to get all of the things that my heart desires. I don't want to say no to myself. I want the full experience. And yet, how interesting that Jesus is pressing up against our natural desires because he says, hold on, self-denial is a baseline requirement for being a genuine follower. It is a price you must be willing to pay. Now, here's where I think some of us get confused here. Maybe you've heard this passage before. People hear this self-denial thing, they think, oh, okay. 
I know what Jesus is saying. I need to wake up at 3 a.m. every day, pray for 10 hours. I can only eat cardboard and sleep on plywood. Like, that's what Jesus is calling me to. Absolute Navy SEAL intense spirituality. And actually, this is where I think people get confused. Because that's how we envision the self-denial thing. This is not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying harder equals holier. Don't we think that sometimes? The harder it is, the more i got to bear up and white knuckle. That's when I'm really spiritual. That's when God's really pleased. That's not what he's saying. This is the critical idea here, everybody. This is what he means. When whatever you want is in conflict with what God wants, you must deny yourself. Your human concerns cannot override God's purposes for your life. His plans have to take ultimate priority over any preference you have for what your life needs to look like. And Jesus is resetting expectations here. It's like, you must understand, following me, being a genuine Christian, does not always come with a couch. It comes with a cross. It's not always pleasant. Sometimes it really, really hurts. And if you want to fulfill God's purpose for your life, there is a price associated with it. You are going to have to deny some of the desires, some of the dreams and definitions you have for how your life is supposed to look. Jesus says you have to be willing to follow to the point of maximum inconvenience. He says you have to be willing to take up a cross for this. Which this is a painful image, especially at this time. This is the worst form of suffering. This is shameful and humiliating. This even means death. And so Jesus is like, you got to understand, it's not a couch sometimes. It's a cross. Now, when Nicole and I were dating years ago, we uh, both lived in Chicago for a period of time. And so we would go on dates down in the city a lot. It was really fun. And at one date, I still remember it, we went down uh, Michigan Avenue, you know, Magnificent Mile, all the shops and stores. It's kind of bougie. And at one point in time, we're walking down the street, and we went by a Rolex store. Now, here's the thing. I'm a young guy who's trying to impress a woman, okay? So I got to do everything I can do. So I'm like, babe, let's go in the Rolex store. Let's look at some watches, okay? And so we walk in there, and it's just kind of funny because there's the guy there in the tux and the bow tie, and the look on his face was like, oh, yeah, these guys aren't leaving with a watch at all. There's no hope for this couple. In any I'm not getting any commission off these people, but he's got to play the game. So he's like, okay, here, let me show you guys some watches. And he walks over here, and he's like, these watches start around $30,000. Now, here's the thing. I played it smart. I played it cool because my face said, oh, yeah, very interesting. Okay, and I looked at Nicole like, would you like one of these watches? Would you be interested? And everything in my head said, oh, heck no. Not in a million years. I got $30,000 for a watch? Is this guy crazy? Now, Here's what's kind of funny about the Rolex store experience. Nicole and I, we got total access to the store for free. We didn't have to pay a penny to get in there. It cost us nothing. We could walk around all we wanted. But if we wanted to leave with a watch, that was going to cost at least $30,000, if not more. It was going to come at a price. And this is what you must understand about the Christian faith, everybody. Salvation costs you nothing. If you're new to this faith, then you must understand, Jesus paid the total price for your sin, 
for your shame, for everything. He covered it totally free. This is what we call grace. This is the amazing thing about the Christian faith. It's unbelievable. You get total access to God for free. You don't earn it. That's where most people stop, though. You have to hear the full sentence. Salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything. If you want to put the watch on, if you want to fulfill God's purposes for your life, if you want to live out the destiny he has made for you, that's not free. That comes at a high price. You don't get it for no cost. And this is where people misunderstand how this works and they get tripped up because here's what we do. We say, Jesus, yes, I give everything to you. I love you. I want to follow you with my whole life. And Jesus says, great. Stop sleeping with your boyfriend. Move out. We're like, oh, oh, oh. That's a price tag right there. Say, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything. There's nothing you can't ask of me. He says, awesome. Tell them the truth. Oh, you want to follow me? Okay. Forgive them. Oh, you're serious about this? Okay. How about you get home on time from work so you can be an actual present parent? Yeah, it will hurt your career trajectory. Did you think this was free? And this is the rub. We say we want something until we look at the price tag. And if you want God's purposes, it's going to be very expensive. Most Christians get in the store, and most Christians do not leave with the watch. They get saved but they don't fulfill the purpose and destiny of God in their life. I'm wondering, what is too expensive for you? What price tag is too high when it comes to following Jesus in your own life? We actually all have them. And maybe you're struggling with things and you're like, I don't know, Brian, how do I think about that? Well, do you have any obvious disobedience in your life right now? Do you have any patterns or habits that are clearly dragging you away from the direction of God in your life? That signals something. You're not willing to pay a price. Where in your life are you contradicting the very nature and goodness and love of God? That's a price. Are you willing to pay it? Whatever the price tag is for you, we all have these moments where we're like, God, that is going to break the spiritual bank. The price tag's too high. Now, here's what you should be feeling right now at this moment in this sermon. Here's what you should be thinking. Brian, you are not exactly doing a good job selling this Christianity thing. That's what you should be thinking right now. Is this guy supposed to make me want to be a Christian? Am I supposed to like Jesus right now? This doesn't sound very fun. Where's the fun church at? I'm going to Google one right now as I'm trying to look for it. So that's what you should be feeling right now. This is not an appealing offer. This is not a good way to make a sale. Like, deny myself and take up my cross. Great. Where do I sign up? This sounds wonderful. Now, Jesus knows this. He knows this is not a good offer. He knows this is not attractive, so he now is going to close the sale. He's about to make the case, this is why you should do this. This is why you should want to do this. This is why this should be your only option with your life. 
And Jesus is about to make a case that the reward will far outweigh the price. This is the case he's about to make. Let's jump back in the text. Verse 25, Jesus talking. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, when I was a teenager, I, uh, one of the jobs I had was I refereed little kids' soccer games, like five and six-year-olds. And it was super fun and cute. But almost every single game, there was that one kid. That one kid. And you might know which kid I'm talking about. It was that one kid who did not understand the concept that the two goals were actually different. And so he would get the ball and get so excited, just be running down the field, kicking it, getting all excited about scoring a goal. And all the coaches and parents are like, no, no, I'm so glad that's not my kid. This is so embarrassing for him. And then he would go in and just kick the ball and be so excited, like, yay, I scored a goal. And everybody's like, this kid, oh my goodness. Because we all know you're kicking the ball in the wrong goal. Those are not the points you want. That's not how you win the game. And this is what Jesus is saying. Reality does not operate the way you think it does. Your human concerns do not work out the way you think they do. Because so many people, we don't use this language, but we are trying to save ourselves. We're doing it every single day. We're thinking, I'm not going to deny my desires. I got plans. I got things I want to do. I refuse to be single my whole life. I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to make the money I'm going to make no matter what it takes. I've got a destiny I have defined for my life. I'm going to bring the security and the comfort and all the things that I've ever wanted in my life. And I'll follow Jesus as long as it suits my purposes. But the moment it doesn't, my preferences take priority. And the problem with that is so many people are kicking the ball in the wrong goal with their lives. So many of us are racking up the wrong points. And this is where you can really mess with yourself because you might be achieving that success. You might be amassing that wealth. You might have gotten that relationship you think you need and want. You might even have a decent life here in Colorado and wherever you're watching. But if you are securing all the things you want your life to look like, and it's coming at the cost of God's purposes for your life, Jesus says that is a bad exchange. You are kicking the ball in the wrong goal. You've got the wrong points for your life. You think you're saving yourself, and yet you are losing the very life that God designed you for. I'm wondering, are you trying to save your own life? Are you trying to live up to some definition of what your life should look like? Are you maybe even pursuing some things at the cost of your own relationship with God? Even contradicting some of the commitments you've told yourself that you've made in your own mind? about Jesus, you might even be making progress. And yet, Jesus says, you're kicking the ball in the wrong goal. You got the wrong points. 
That's not how you win the game. That's not how you get to the life you think you want. And so Jesus gives an alternative here. He says, if you would be willing to lose your life for me, you will find it. That's how you find it. Now, can we just admit that that kind of sounds like, like a fortune cookie line? Doesn't that feel like something you'd find after a Chinese restaurant? Like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds very good. Hippie Jesus. You know, like, it, it just, what do you mean? What do you even mean by that, Jesus? Well, maybe you've heard this phrase before. It's kind of along the same lines. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Have you heard that before? In case you're keeping count, that is my third cake illustration in this sermon. We'll see how high we get by the end of this thing. But what that basically means is you can't have two incompatible things at the same time. And what Jesus is just pointing out is that sometimes the life you want is incompatible with the life that God wants for you. You're not always on the same page. And God, out of his love for you, will ask you to give up what you think your life is supposed to look like and trust him for the other side. If you pay attention to this, you'll see this a handful of times throughout the Bible. So one decently well-known story, maybe you recognize it, Jesus encounters a rich guy, young rich guy at some point, and they're having a conversation about eternal life. Like, how do you get it? How does this work? And Jesus notices something about this dude. He's like, hold on. This guy's trying to save his own life. And for this guy, it was the security and status of money. He was looking for money to be his provider, his sustenance, and everything he was hoping for. And Jesus says, okay, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So he makes a very specific ask of this guy, only this dude. He says, I need you to give everything away. And then you come follow me. And this guy saw the price tag. And it was too much. It was a price he was not willing to pay. And we have no idea who this guy is or whatever happened to him. He missed God's destiny for his life. In trying to save himself through his money, he lost the life God was handing him right there in that moment. Now think of another story. Maybe you've heard of Abraham, one of the famous Old Testament characters. God fulfills so many promises in his life, the primary one being a son that he had been waiting decades for. And everything in his life is coming together. He's living good. He's set. And yet God has a moment in his life where he says, okay, I need to make sure you don't try to save yourself. I need you to trust me with this kid and give him over to me. And Abraham looked at that price tag and it said everything on it. And at Abraham, because of where he got in his life, where he trusted God, it was a price he was willing to pay. And he lost everything through that process. And yet, how unbelievable that it was through that loss that became the pathway for all of God's purposes and plans for his life. And an impact that was beyond anything he could possibly imagine. This is what is so counterintuitive about this, everybody. This is what is so paradoxical. You must understand, God is going to ask you at different times in your life to give things up. He's going to ask you to lose. He's going to ask you to do things that feel like backwards steps. And yet those very things 
are the pathway to your destiny. They are the keys to life. And Jesus says, if you will trust me, lay your life down, set aside your desires, put my concerns as the absolute priority, that is when you are going to tap into the life I have for you. You're not going to be losing. And he even tacks on a promise to this. He doesn't even stop there. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. One thing I find very amusing is professional athletes crying. I don't know if anybody else notices this when you watch a sporting event, particularly the grown men. There's just something about a grown man crying like a baby. That's just heartwarming to me. So like some of these pictures, Roger Federer right here after winning one of these things. I mean, look at those tears. I mean, grown man, just quivering lip, very cute. Uh, this is an iconic one. Michael Jordan, look how he's holding that trophy. He is holding that thing tighter than his firstborn child. He is just clinging to it. This is one of my personal favorites though. Look at LeBron here. That's ugly crying, everybody. That's full-on ugly cry. But even this last one, this is one that I find funny. This is Russell Wilson crying after a big win when he was with the Seahawks. We have never seen those tears yet in Denver. Tears of victory and joy. We only have tears of embarrassment and shame and disappointment. Those are the tears we have. Now, here's what's kind of cool about those moments for athletes. If you've ever played in sports, you follow sports, you know exactly what is happening in that moment. In every single one of those tears, you are seeing the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the years and the decades of sacrifice and self-denial and total devotion and people who have laid down their lives for one singular purpose. And in that moment, they are experiencing the reward of everything they have given their lives to. And I have never seen an athlete get to that moment in their life where they're holding the trophy and they're thinking, eh, it wasn't really worth it. I shouldn't have worked that hard. That was a little too much. No, they are ugly crying because all of the joy and satisfaction and emotion of what they have achieved is happening right there. And this is what Jesus is saying. There is an awards ceremony coming. There are rewards on the way. And Jesus says, I'm coming in glory. There's going to be angels. The Olympic ceremonies ain't got nothing on what God has planned for this moment for human history. He says, I'm coming with rewards. Now, I'm wondering how many of us in here are actually expecting a welcome reception into heaven. I know you're supposed to say you are, but when I talk to people, you know, they say, they're like, ooh, Brian, oh, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm going to need a helmet and some pads because, like, God's going to whack me or something. Or, like, I'm going to have to sneak in through the back door. It's going to kind of feel like the principal's office maybe for, like, 100 years before I can, like, get the good stuff. Like, we feel like we're going to get kind of spanked before we get into heaven sometimes. You know, God's got to get his last little whack in before we get into eternity. That's how we feel. And yet Jesus says, you must understand, I've got rewards. This is going to be a party. You are going to be ugly crying when you get to this moment. It's going to be so wonderful because this is the promise. Jesus is saying, these rewards, we don't know the specifics. Whatever hard work, 
whatever sacrifices, whatever price you are required to pay in this life to follow Jesus, he says, I am going to give you rewards that far outweigh any of that. It is going to be so worth it. You are going to feel such an overwhelming sense of joy and gratitude for everything that was accomplished in your life, even when it came at a great cost. So hear me today, everybody. If you really want to follow Jesus, there is going to be blood. There's going to be sweat. There are going to be tears. You're going to need to have that courage to end that relationship sometimes. You're going to have to follow that conviction to pass up on that opportunity. You're going to have to make that move when you sense God leading you. You're going to have to be able to say no to that temptation in the moment. You're going to have to do the hard thing when God puts it out there. And it's not always going to feel worth it. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be rewarding. And yet Jesus says there is something coming that is going to far outweigh whatever you have had to go through in this life. He is going to make it way more than worth it. As we close today, this is the million-dollar question. Do you believe him? Do you actually trust those words? Are you willing to bet your life on some of those promises? Many Christians, we try to have our cake and eat it too. So yeah, I'm going to trust Jesus, but I have all these little hedges on the side so I can kind of get what I want in this life too, just in case this doesn't work out. Jesus says, no, you got to deny yourself. You got to hand your life over. That is the only way you are going to tap into the purposes that God has for you. And you know why you can do this? You know why you can do this with joy? You know why you can be confident in denying yourself and taking up your cross, whatever that looks like? You know why you can do this? Because Jesus already did it for you. Jesus took on the ultimate self-denial. He left heaven and came to earth. He took on human flesh. He didn't take on any of the respect or the honor or the dignity or the comforts he was entitled to. He denied himself of all of it. He didn't just deny himself. He didn't just take up a figurative cross. He took up the literal cross. Every step he took towards certain death, he took on your behalf. Every swing of the hammer of the nail in his hands and feet, he took for you. Everything he endured in the maximum moment of suffering was for God's concerns in his life. He laid aside every concern he had for himself. He lost his life. He lost everything. And yet through losing everything, Jesus gained everything. Because it wasn't just three short years that had an impact. In three short days, Jesus rose from the dead, everybody, he conquered the grave. He did the impossible. And now he's saying, I am coming back in glory. And I want you to be a part of this celebration. You see why Jesus had such an impact? Do you see this? The reason why he was able to do what he did in three short years was not just because he was God in the flesh. It was because Jesus was willing to pay the price. The price tag said, everything on it. And he was willing to pay the price for you.
he was willing to endure whatever the cost. And what looked like the greatest loss became his greatest victory. And so Jesus will never ask you to do something that he has not already done in the greatest measure on your behalf. Whatever sacrifices are required in your life, whatever costs, whatever price tags, you need to know. Jesus' cross led to a crown. His death led to life. His loss led to an absolute victory, and he is promising the same thing for you. Whatever losses you have in this life will guarantee lead to the life he has promised for you. Fulfilling all of his purposes, living out your destiny, and stepping into eternal rewards that are beyond anything you could imagine. So whatever price there is, everybody, whatever the cost to follow Jesus, there is an even greater reward. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for what you have done on our behalf. Jesus, you denied yourself. You took up your cross. You laid your life down for us. You paid the ultimate price for us. You gave everything on our behalf. There was no price that was too great. So Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you have loved us so much that nothing would stop you from allowing us to have the free gift of salvation, your grace, your presence, God. Lord, we just worship you for that. But Lord, for every single one of us, we struggle with the price in our own lives. Lord, sometimes the cost just feels like too much. We've got our own desires we want to live out. We have our own plans. We have our own preferences. We have human concerns that are overwhelming in day-to-day -day life. And I just pray, Lord, that you would set us free today. Set us free from just the shackles, all the concerns that weigh us down so we can live out your concerns for our life. Lord, I pray that we would have so much confidence in you that we'd be willing to pay any price that you ask us to follow you, Lord, that we would take up any cross that is required. Lord, we thank you for the promise of rewards. You promise you have good things in store. And as broken as our lives are here on this side of heaven, I pray that you would just give us eternal hope right now. That we can endure anything because we know there is a finish line at the end. We know the end of the season is coming. We know we are gonna hoist a trophy high over our heads in an amazing ceremony in eternity. Give us, Lord, that courage. Give us that perspective. Because Jesus, we know you are worth every sacrifice because you made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.